Hello team and welcome to episode 378 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jason Wessel. Jason has spent the last 10 years helping people get out of their own way. Early frustrations as a rehabilitation counselor, working with enthusiastic but stuck clients, led Jason to a PhD on procrastination. His research challenged the standard model of pushing motivation for change and instead focused on pulling motivation in only 60 seconds a day. So if you're someone who finds himself working working frantically at the very last minute or missing deadlines because of procrastination, this episode is for you. In this episode, you could expect to learn whether some people are just predetermined to be procrastinators, why you may be able to earn $13,000 more per year if you can overcome your procrastinating behavior, along with some key questions that you can ask yourself to overcome procrastination once and for all. So without further ado, Jason Wessel. Jason Wessel, welcome to the show. How are you today? <laughs> really well, really well. Thanks for asking. What about yourself? I'm very, very well. I'm excited for our conversation. Really excited to speak on the topic that we are today. As I mentioned to you off air, we've gone through a lot of mindset stuff, a lot of productivity stuff, I should say, but never touched on the topic of procrastination. So I feel like this is going to be something that a lot of the listeners are going to take so much value away from. And also, it's going to be a topic that I think we can all on some level relate to as well. So with that being said, before we do dive into the depths of our topic, can you give us a little context? about who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah, uh, Dr. Jason Wessel, uh, not a medical PhD, PhD in procrastination, if you believe it or not. A lot of the time, whenever I met people at Pubs, I was doing the PhD on procrastination. They're like, hey, you finished yet? You finished yet? So I think I finished early just to like spite those people. PhD research was experimental on how to reduce procrastination, how to measure it better, how to predict it better, how to reduce it, kind of all in one fell swoop. Um, but that was all within the discipline of psychology. So I'm also a, a psychologist. I'm a practicing psychologist. I help people with procrastination of all the different manifestations that procrastination can come out with. And uh, I do a lot of work specifically in procrast- procrastination around behavior change and weight and other health-related behavior change as well. I've been doing the private practice psychology for about three years years the PhD was uh, I don't know how many years like uh, four years before that as well Um, so all in all I've been going quite a few years um, published a couple of papers built an app have a a website that is uh, I chronically procrastinate on putting more content on but uh, that's it. That's about me. Sounds like you've been busy during the different bouts of your procrastination over the years. And I'm keen to roll the years back even further. Is this always something you've been interested in? Then I can't imagine that someone's thought, hmm, as a five or 10 year old child, you know, I don't ever get to do the things I want to do. Let me go down the route of taking a career here. Was it always something that you wanted to do? Or is it something you adopted a little bit later in life? I was never really a big procrastinator. Like I, if you ask my mom, I was a big procrastinator, but I only like didn't do the things I didn't want to do, right? But if I ever wanted to do something, like I was always pretty gung-ho about doing it and I didn't always match up with what other people wanted me to do, but you know, I guess that's life. So no, I wasn't really a big procrastinator. Procrastinator. I love psychology. I love people. I always have. That was kind of lifelong passion and interest to get out there and be with people in really vulnerable, important parts of their lives and also help them to kind of flourish and often just get out of the way and, and watch them flourish by themselves. I have a general interest in it and I have a 
bit of a tendency to prefer really complicated subtopics within psychology, which procrastination is one of that. I did my undergraduate thesis on daytime naps because I'm a big napper. And I guess thematically, somehow, I think they're linked. Uh, I haven't actually tied it together. But yeah, there's, there's something about napping and procrastination that thematically seem consistent. So when I landed on some of the literature and helped explain some earlier before I did my PhD, some earlier clinical experience I had where clients I'd work with, they in in session, we'd talk about a plan, they knew who they needed to call, what they wanted to say, when they were going to do it, they scheduled it in a diary, they left the session going, yep, I'm 100% confident I'm going to do it. And then I'd see them a week later and they wouldn't have made the call, they wouldn't have done the thing that they said they were going to do. And I was really frustrated by that for a long time, kind of clinically before doing the research. And it wasn't until I read some of the liter- literature on procrastination that I kind of connected the dots not just that I kind of knew that descriptively they were procrastinating, but I didn't know why. And the research that I came across kind of laid out a bit of a really compassionate, kind, I want to say like a segmented model for how to understand the underlying mechanisms of why that actually happened and therefore where and how to intervene. And I also kind of, through the earlier clinical work, adopted a bit of a philosophy of like, this is so common that it's kind of endemic to the human condition. I think we all do it to some extent. And when people are really suffering, we seem to do it even worse. So it can take a really, uh, or create a really negative spiral, a destructive spiral. I, I guess I had that background that seeded the interest that when I came across the, the literature and I was kind of reading some concurrent things and had this like interesting experimental design in the back of my mind and the stars aligned. And so that's kind of how it all came together with partly the clinical interest, partly like loving the complexity. When I was doing uh, research on napping, people used to talk to me about napping all the time and their eyes would light up whenever I told them what I was doing. They always found it really interesting. So I also kind of thought procrastination would be really good to talk to people because I had colleagues that did really abstract research on stuff that you never really understood. It was so niche uh, and kind of like without speaking ill of them, it was like irrelevant to the day-to-day kind of concerns of people. And I really like to be relatable in stuff that I research and where my interests lie. So stars aligned, here I am and don't have any plans to stop anytime soon. It's uh, it's a really fascinating area. Yeah, I'm glad to hear. And I think it's one of those subjects that, like you said, it's has so much relatability. And the beauty of the subject as well is that you can get to grips with something that people really are struggling with and really are challenged by. And you mentioned at first, you were kind of a little bit frustrated why people didn't do what you asked them in a way and you were confused why that happened. I remember having a client some years ago and for every single personal training session, he would turn up late, like 20, 25 minutes late. And this is for an hour session as well, which he was paying for. And it was bizarre to me. At first, it was a little bit frustrating because they were Sunday sessions. And then after a while, I was like, well, this guy is super kind. He's super respectful of my time and just a generally respectable guy. So I was like, why is he always turning up late? So I decided to do some research myself and he basically backed up what I saw in that research. I was like, I was doing some research on you because I was curious about why you're late to these sessions all the time. And basically it says that those who have poor time management aren't really necessarily disrespectful or anything like that. They just have high optimism about how much they can fit into their time and not a very good idea of how long their tasks take. And he was like, that is exactly me. He was like, I plan to leave 10 minutes before to get to our session. And then it's 11.05 and I realize I'm already five minutes late to the session. And I think when those type of things click and you realize that these very common problems that people have are nothing really to do with their 
personality. It's just more something that's a part, like it is to do with their personality, but it's not due to laziness or lack of respect or lack of ambition. It's just a part of their makeup. I think it can be eye opening. So I'm sure that you maybe found the same about procrastination once you started to do some digging, right? Yeah, for sure. I think like what you're talking about with your client would be like a symptomatically kind of looks very similar to procrastination, but I'm not sure I'd really classify it as clean procrastination or the kind of procrastination that we traditionally associate with like avoidant type behavior. Like usually one one of the common definitions or descriptions of what procrastination is, is that it's an emotion focused coping mechanism, meaning that you've got some sort of negative emotion to something that you need to do. For example, an assignment or a work report or calling the in-laws and you feel like, oh, I don't really want to do that. You maybe have some thoughts around what will they think? What will I say? How am I going to do it? Um, you know, I won't do a very good job. And in order to kind of pacify those negative emotions, you engage in some sort of other behavior with less friction to it that kind of helps you feel a little bit better, even if it's something like cleaning or procrastinate baking, something like that. So that's usually how I kind of think about the necessary mechanisms within procrastination is that it's avoidant in some way, shape or form. And when I was talking before about the models that I really like regarding procrastination, they kind of break down what is it about that behavior or that task that you're avoiding, the thing that you're procrastinating on that is so aversive and how do you kind of break that apart and make sense of the different things that could be aversive about it and then kind of address those issues chunk by chunk where they're needed. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to the very roots of procrastination and ask you a very vague but maybe very helpful question is where does procrastination stem from in the first place? And are there people who are more predetermined to be procrastinators? Is it something that's maybe slightly hereditary? Is it based on environment? Is it based on personality traits? Where does it come from? And are there people who are more likely to be procrastinators than others? Yeah, it certainly tends to differ between people. Um, There are a few different measures for procrastination where we, we all score kind of somewhere on the spectrum. For example, I score fairly kind of low. I don't think I've done any particular training. I think I came into you know, research and psychology and study kind of like being fairly low. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it's somewhat stable as a personality trait, but it does seem to shift over time. Like as you get older, your tendency to procrastinate tends to get less and less. I said before, procrastination is really complicated. Complicated because it, it differs not just based on your individual, like your underlying baseline homeostatic level of how much you are likely to procrastinate. So we all kind of differ to some degree, kind of like we all differ uh, on impulsivity. You know, I might have like a general impulsivity score of like six and someone else might have a 12, et cetera. But how that manifests and whether that underlying latency of a, you know, a personality trait likelihood to procrastinate, how that comes out depends so much on what the task is whether we find it aversive or not, whether we've got experience doing it, whether we've got some sort of deadline, if we've got other people around us that are that are encouraging us to do it, whether we've got a, a smartphone with TikTok in front of us or not, um, and how much time there's left to do it. You know, you might be really likely to procrastinate like your client, you know, five minutes before something's due, but like five minutes after it's due, you're like not a procrastinator at all, right? So like contextually in the moment, that guy at five past the start of your session time 
he wasn't procrastinating. He wasn't a procrastinator or his procrastination wasn't coming out in that moment. So there's like, it's a really multifaceted beast and like largely procrastination, I think of as a symptom. And the question really is a, sim- a symptom of what and the what changes day to day, moment to moment in terms of where does it come from? Like we all do it. We all do it. I think even all, I don't know about mammals, but certainly humans do it. And as long as recorded history uh, exists, there seem to be accounts that look like procrastination. And ultimately, we have so many demands on our time, particularly now, particularly uh, digital era, so many demands on our time. We have to be judicious about like what we invest our effort and what we invest our energy into and things that are emotionally aversive things that make us feel a bit like i don't really want to do that are pretty like attractive candidates to put off so we do yeah as you mentioned it is a really multifaceted beast i don't really think of it from the perspective of how much we can all be on a different spectrum and also how some of the most self-proclaimed procrastinators become literally the opposite as soon as the moment starts where they have to actually do the task right i assume that there's plenty of people who don't follow through and end up procrastinating so much that they miss deadlines and all this stuff and i have a stat that i want to read in just a moment that really heavily emphasizes that but it's very very interesting to think that those people have gone from having completely procrastinating behavior to literally the opposite within a set of minutes once they've realized the importance or maybe the necessity to be at that thing or to do this thing as well so i'm very interested to hear the difference between those who maybe are on the super low end of the scale who barely procrastinate at all versus those who are on the higher what's the difference between those two sets of individuals there's these concepts uh, called active procrastination and passive procrastination the idea behind active procrastination is that they tend to think it's also been called positive procrastination where people tend to think that they prefer the pressure of a tight deadline uh, and therefore they kind of put things off intentionally mm-hmm. knowing that, the, that a lot. the deadline's coming and then they're really going to grind it out and they can kind of work on adrenaline a little bit. And there is some, there's some, I don't even think it's anecdotal. I think it's actually like legitimate research suggesting that there are some benefits of delaying and putting things off. For example, like a lot of this research is done on uni students. So I'll use that as an example. You put off a uni assignment until the the week of or two days before like you will have exposure to more content specific to the the assignment by that stage you'll also have connections or contact with more of your peers that have already done most of the assignment you go like oh like how did you get over this bit how did you get over that bit if you're the first person to do the assignment you don't get your peer support in the same kind of way so there are kind of some adaptive reasons why people use that and it does tend to be very anecdotal i did some research on active versus passive. Pa- passive procrastination is more of the classic kind of negative procrastination where you put things off because you're avoiding it um, because you have negative feelings. And the, the more you delay, the more you put it off, the heavier the guilt then becomes. And now you're also kind of avoiding that sense of guilt uh, by doing something else like playing video games or you know talking to friends or whatever it is that you do instead of doing the thing you, you should be doing. And it creates a really you know, down, a strong downward spiral. And those people do put things off and perform worse on their assignment. They're late to things and they're kind of generally racked with guilt, right? People that have a bit of a kind of mixed time perception and are often late to things uh, tend not to have the same underlying psychological angst that chronic procrastinators would, which is not to say that a chronic procrastinator can't also 
just be, you know, easily distracted and be late to things. It's also fairly common in ADHD. So maybe your your client had a bit of that going on. Back to active passive procrastination. Um, the research that I did, like I said, that my PhD was really focused on how do we measure it? How do we predict it? And how do we change it? I used both active and passive procrastination measures and was able to determine like who on a trait, oh, sorry, on a, yeah, on a trait level. So their personality wise, who's likely to be you know, high or low and active or passive procrastination and then track their behavior over time as they work towards a task. People that scored high in active procrastination tended to not actually put things off when we track their behavior any more than people that were low in active procrastination. So essentially they weren't actually procrastinating, but my my theory, and I, I suppose we need to do more research to understand if my theory tracks, is that those people that talk about using that pressure of the deadline they maybe just like they amplify in their mind how close or how important the the proximity of like when they've got to get it done is like that last day or two and they're like yeah that's really crunch time that's really grind time but their adrenaline maybe kicks in earlier than other people behaviorally they are not that different they don't do it particularly early but they don't do it any later than than the the average person that doesn't particularly register on a, a passive procrastination scale. So I kind of think it's a bit of a way that even maybe if I'm trying to put myself in someone's shoes that's telling themselves that story that I like the pressure of the deadline, I can see to me how it would be a great way to motivate myself. It's almost like I become more sensitive to deadlines and I'm oversensitive to the deadline. And so while everyone else is just getting started, I'm like, oh, it's getting late. You know, so that's what the data showed. When I talk to people that refer to themselves as active procrastinators, they're like, no, 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 I start like an hour before. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit mixed. I still kind of get story, I still get anecdotes of people doing that kind of behavior, but the the research on it is really minimal. Um, and we need to kind of do a lot more, I suppose, to pass that out because the data I collected certainly didn't support that. And I tried very, very hard to try and understand that as a as a as a mechanism. Again, part of the challenge of the complexity of it is there's so many different variables and we've got to track it progressively, like you know, a high intensity of data collection protocol over a, a fixed duration where we're measuring behavior change to a, a fixed point. So like there's a lot of different things and moving pieces going on. So there's a long way of saying, yeah, like that, that phenomenon seems to exist descriptively, but um, it's a little bit more complicated and not particularly well academically understood. And in terms of the outcome of those people, are you saying that basically there isn't too much difference in the results of those people? Would you say that, you know, someone who leaves it last minute to the deadline? Yeah, essentially, there is very minimal difference between those who leave it really late and those who start early. So if you leave it later, a lot of the actual research on this stuff didn't do what I did. They didn't track like high intensity over time. They just tracked like a submission date or when someone, you know, the, the really old classic procrastination research is the you, you post, you snail mail people forms to fill out, and then you you get them to fill out a procrastination scale. And when they mail them back, the date you receive it is kind of determined, well, they put it off, right? So we call them a procrastinator if they were later to submit the form. But there's all sorts of reasons why people might return a form late. And going back to assignments, because there's a lot of research on assignment submission date, there's all sorts of reasons why people might submit late. Going back to that example of, you know, if you leave it to the last day or two, you get more content, right? People like to finish it early and then sit on it for three days, right? And then read it again with, with fresh eyes. 
So we know that if people put off doing the work or they crunch time, do the work later, they tend not to perform as well. And well, they certainly tend to be more stressed. Like that's one thing we know for real certain that people that start doing it earlier are generally calmer, uh, generally kind of feel more comfortable. People that do it later are more stressed, but also really smart people tend to put things off later as well. Like high performers seems to manifest going through school, right? I think it's a bit of like a gifted kid syndrome where they haven't really had to try hard to do work and get good marks. So they keep kind of just like doing things last minute. And then they come to university and they're procrastinators. Uh, They kind of put it off and then they kind of realize, oh, I can't do anything last minute anymore. And they have a bit of a crisis of their own identity because they thought they were really smart. Now they think they're not smart because they actually have to work for it. And then they take that behavior into the workforce. So even though they have kind of learned behaviorally while they were in their formative years that it's okay to put things off, they they're really smart, so they can actually get decent grades if they do it. So grades as a way to measure performance isn't actually that reliable because there's lots of different things that influence the grades that people get. You can't exactly like, well, at least I haven't gotten everyone that's uh, got the same IQ or you know, statistically, I suppose we could measure IQ and then control for that, but measuring IQ is quite intensive, so we didn't do that. So yeah, like I, I suppose... The only thing that I would say with great confidence that is a consequence of procrastination, apart from long-term research where we know that the, a high score in procrastination tends to correlate with poorer quality of life, poorer health outcomes. Like People that procrastinate a lot are more likely to put off getting lumps checked, which has a real direct link to their mortality. Uh, if people procrastinate on behavior, on health behavior change, their you know, cardiovascular disease kind of rates are likely to be higher, all those sorts of like really grave consequences. Quality of life of people that are procrast- chronic procrastinators tends to be much worse. The outcomes of specific events, like I'm procrastinating on this task, am I going to perform worse on that task? There's so much noise and so much complexity in what performance on a task is that it's kind of, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, a really convincing study that kind of says that a lot of studies propose it but when you read them i kind of question how well those studies were conducted that being said there's probably something great out there because it makes sense um so please don't uh go go googling one find one they go see yeah it's true it's true performance uh is worse when you procrastinate i'm sure it is true but i'm trying to make the point that it's, it's really complicated but quality of life and stress are massive definite consequences yeah absolutely and i think if we're waving the flag for the let's say anti-procrastinator it makes a lot of sense because of when you do a task late you don't have any real time for revising that task for example you know if you want to check back on a test that you're revising for or a paper that you need to enter with you only have that one opportunity to check it if you're right on the edge of the deadline right and then if you go down the route of like you mentioned putting off something like a lump being checked as well like the timeline on that can be as you mentioned the difference in your fatality to be completely honest so realistically even if you maybe think that you perform incredibly well you don't have that opportunity to double check you don't have that opportunity to have the guarantee of extra time and that sometimes can be incredibly detrimental as well so i think we can wave the flag both from a productivity standpoint even if it's just to check the performance of your work but also check that box from the perspective of not 
having enough time to treat something that could actually be super, super detrimental as well. And I want to read out a, a part of your article that was really, really interesting to me. And you mentioned chronic pro- procrastinators. Chronic procrastinators are less likely to be in permanent employment and earn around $14,000 less than their more productive counterparts. And so I'm curious, if we can get ourselves to be a little bit more productive, can we expect to bring that £14,000 back or $14,000? And what is the reason behind that? In terms of reason behind, there's probably a lot because, you know, procrastination is complicated. This was correlational research. So we, when it wasn't my research, I was citing someone else. So they surveyed professionals. They got them to do a procrastination questionnaire to get their procrastination trait scores. Um, They asked them how much money they earn. And then they go, okay, well, people that score higher tend to earn kind of this much less. In terms of why, well, I suppose... We're, we're implying that it's because of procrastination, but it could be lots of other factors that are also related to procrastination. But let's just kind of run with the headline concept that it's procrastination. Can they claw it back? Well, yeah, like psychotherapy has a really good outcome in terms of how people can change their procrastination behavior and even their personality over time. You know, if we think of pro- Uh, procrastination is a symptom of things if we can fully understand the causes which differ person to person task to task so it can take a while to untangle a lot of that but if someone can tackle these issues within their lives these internal blockers that they have then the areas where they get in their own way truly understand them and work progressively on strategies and tools and habits and techniques that help them to overcome these traps that they fall in, then yeah, absolutely. They can change their procrastination scale score. There's not a lot of research on that. Procrastination, it's funny, it's so prolific, right? But the the volume of research on it is, there's a lot of research out there, but there's a lot of repetition as well. Like the volume of like really hard hitting, like the deep stuff that's at the level of complexity that procrastination kind of deserves to be researched. There's not a lot, you know, the procrastination conferences of like the people, the the big brains that kind of study procrastination as their main focus are like really, really small compared to things like, you know, depression, confidence, trauma conferences. Not to say that those conferences should be small. I'm just saying, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of, yeah, really great research on on procrastination. So in terms of, you know, can they claw that $14,000 back? Yeah, like theoretically, for sure. Do we know that for certain? No, but theoretically, yeah, like everything else points to this is something that can be overcome. And anecdotally uh, in, in clinical work that I do, yeah, it seems to be the case that people can absolutely change their lives. You know, they can do it themselves. And, and going back to that concept of the procrastination scores tend to go down as you get older, like it shows that there's some sort of general trend for people to go through life getting slightly better at things. And you can drastically accelerate that curve if you put in the work and understand what's going on. Absolutely. And before I go into some of the ways in which we can overcome this procrastination, I do want to argue the side of the procrastinator for a second because I think a lot of people are going to be listening or watching today and thinking, you know, my procrastination has served me incredibly well. I never miss a deadline and all this type of stuff. Is there any such thing as 
productive procrastination because if you do find this a lot when for example you stay on top of your inbox you end up getting more emails you do all of the work that you're supposed to at work and then your boss just gives you more work and then there always seems to be this endless to-do list because you're almost a victim of your productivity whereas the person who maybe just does just about enough in order to get their boxes ticked but not do any more than that then ends up doing you know a sufficient amount of work but doesn't actually end up doing the extra work that those who stay on top of their stuff and are incredibly productive have to end up doing. Is there an argument for productive procrastination? Yeah, I think uh, to an extent, right? But I don't even know that I would classify productive procrastination as procrastination as per the definition. Um, I've got a, I've got like a four circle Venn diagram for the definition of procrastination. Maybe I can send it to you at the center of this four. So the, the, the four are, it's got to, you've got to, delay something that's kind of integral to procrastination i think we would all agree with that you've got to you've got to have some sort of volition or control that like it's not like someone's holding a gun to your head um stopping you from doing the task it's not like you got in a horrible car accident on the way to doing a thing and that's what caused the delay so there's got to be a degree of your ability to actually control the delay you've got to actually want to or intend to do the task right because even if you could like i could do the dishes like I have control over doing the dishes, but I, and I'm putting them off, but I don't really intend to do the dishes right now, right? Like I'm strategically, I suppose, delaying the dishes. And the fourth circle is that you've got to expect that that delay will cause you some harm, that you are going to be worse off for putting it off, right? So will I be worse off for putting it off? Well, you know, my wife gets home from her circus class, uh, yeah, in like an hour or two, will she get upset at me? Like, she probably won't. She probably won't. She's very nice. Um, so, you know, I kind of really think that I'm procrastinating doing the dishes. But if you asked, you know, going back to, I was talking about my mum before, right? My mum would skip over my own internal experience, my intent and the expectation of harm that I have and be like, well, no, Jason, you're, you're putting this off. You're procrastinating. I'm like, ah, I think it's fine. Um, so going back to what you were talking about, I think I'd call that more like strategic delay right like if people are putting something off and but have never submitted something late and don't really feel particularly hard done by we all have to triage the tasks in our lives and prioritize and i mean how is what you described different to kind of time management in relation to your preferences compared to procrastination yeah that's a fair point and I would come back to the point of you saying like the performance might not be any different, but what we can say is that you're going to be healthier, you're likely going to be wealthier, and you're likely going to be less stressed. I definitely stole that from your article. And that's a very, very fair return on the investment for all of us It's literally maybe what we're all looking for in life. I think we could all do with being a little bit healthier. We could all be very, very happy with more money in the bank and we could all be very, very happy with being a little bit less stressed, right? The quality of our life would improve dramatically. So where do we get started if we want to stop being such a procrastinator or even if we're not on high on that scale, but we notice it slipping from time to time and it's not helping us, where can we get started with reversing the procrastination that exists in our life? Yeah, good question. Um, ah, it's complicated. I like to think in terms of this, this model called temporal motivation theory, which it kind of, it tries to quantify all of the, the things that can influence procrastination. 
the there are four four factors. So I'll, I'll list them out, and then I'll kind of go back over and describe which each are. So there's expectancy uh, about your like whether you expect that completing the task will help you towards whatever goal. Uh, value how much you value that goal the task, but probably more the goal that you're working towards by completing that task. Your level of impulsivity or how distractible you are generally, which tends to be a fairly stable personality trait, but things that you can you can put things in place to kind of manage that. And how much time uh, you've got to do the thing, right? Let's say, and this is why I kind of like working a little bit in health behavior change and, and kind of weight management, because there is no deadline that we know about, right? There is a literal deadline if, if it's really bad, right? That is theoretically closer, um, but we don't know when that is. It's really ambiguous. And because it's really ambiguous, not having a clear deadline to motivate us that we're really certain is actually going to occur at a particular date kind of puts us in an environment of not feeling pressured or not, you know, in a context of, and this is a conclusion I kind of drew from my clients years ago that, like before I started procrastination, but they weren't doing it, weren't doing the things they said they were going to do, is that you leave a moment, you leave a consult, you leave a session with yourself as a, as a trainer, really motivating, feeling great, and you get home and you have to do the dishes, you have to cook dinner, you have to take care of the kids, uh, and you have to you pay some bills, and then it's a late night, you go to sleep, and it's the morning, and then you got to get up, you got to brush your teeth, you got to go to work, you got to do it. Life happens, right? And life's busy, and things are kind of stressful. There are demands in our time, and that motivation and that clarity kind of just dissipates. We lose that momentum, we kind of lose that. Um, that inertia, even if it's really important to us, which goes back to the kind of value element of the temporal motivation kind of theory, even if we really value it, if we don't have some sort of like urgency, other things that do have urgency are very likely to pop up and just be there first. Even if we don't value them as much, we still have to pay the bills because if we don't pay the bills, we're homeless. And that's kind of more important than weight loss for me having, you know, living an extra five years in 20 years time, right? The amount of time left is also you know, a really important factor. And that if you ignore that, which a lot of other ways to think about procrastination do ignore, for example, calling it an emotion-focused coping strategy, while I think true, doesn't really tell you anything about what you do about that, right? Thinking in terms of these four domains gives you a bit of a hint of what you can do about that. So if whatever it is you're procrastinating on or have like a habit of procrastinating on doesn't have some sort of mechanisms in your life to hold you to account at a particular time, that is a problem. And you are just more likely to procrastinate on that task and those types of tasks because you don't have those deadlines. And that's fine. It doesn't mean that you're never going to do it. It just means that you're going to be working harder, I suppose. You're going to be carrying extra baggage about it. You're going to be kind of swimming upstream and you don't have to if you wanted to make that a little bit easier. You can prioritize thinking about, okay, well, I don't have anything to kind of motivate me to do it sooner. There are other strategies as well, and I'd suggest kind of you know, considering a few of them. But I might consider if, again, we're talking about health-related change, signing up to a 30-day challenge or kind of roping in my friend who I know has recently had kind of heart issues uh, and frankly, he's not very motivated either. And so maybe I can motivate him and he can motivate me and we can keep each other accountable. But we also have to think about like, what are we doing here? Like, and when are we doing certain things and why? 
So that's where it has to kind of work in concert with the why and the value going back up to that kind of the second uh, element I mentioned. If you don't really care about it, you're very unlikely to do it. Even if it's really like going back to my, even the definition of procrastination that I cited, if you don't intend to do it, or if you don't particularly expect not doing it will cause you any harm, whether that's stress or lower performance or lower money, then why do it? Like, it doesn't make sense to There's too many things to do. Why do the thing that you don't value? Like, and if you think, you know, I think it's very tempting to think of, of value in a binary term of like, do I value it or do I not value it? But I don't think that that binary view of value is really that consistent with how we experience life. So, because I value a lot of things. You know, if I gave you a list, which is a very common kind of psychological process to determine and clarify your values, and you give you a list of 50 values, and you probably could tick all of the boxes because they're things like family and friendship and romance and curiosity. You're like, oh, I like all of those things. I value them all, right? Going back to like, you know, I value paying bills. I value kind of losing weight, right? You value losing weight, but how much do you actually think about what life would look like in five years' times if you don't or if in five years' time if you do? Most of us have those moments in life where, you know, we have a real epiphany or a wake-up call and we get this kind of flood of a vision of like what, how much we actually value it and how much we actually care about it, right? Like I kind of think of it as a sunset moment. Like you ever kind of at the beach watching the sunset and just like, wow, this is like what's important in life. Like I really need to like fix my stuff up. I really need to do this. And like, yeah, bills come up, but like, I get too distracted by them. I really need to focus because like I'm not living the life I want to live. Like the life I want to live is there and it's almost like I can reach it. I just need to, I just need to go for it. You don't feel like that every day, but you can, or you can sample from it. Like I mean, it's probably a bit dysfunctional to feel like that every day. You, you know, you, you wouldn't get any bills paid. Right. But like you could tap into that intentionally, right. You could, you could, a gratitude journal, but like, or something I refer to as mental time travel, right? I said before, like, what would life be like in five years time? That's mental time travel. Just instead of gratitude journaling every day, or in addition to gratitude journaling every day, give yourself a moment to think about like, what's one feature of my life that would look like, that would be different if I did this versus if I didn't do this, right? And that just keeps that little piece of your sunset moment alive within you. And if you do that, just like if you install kind of milestones and deadlines, right, by accountability friends, it doesn't mean that you're going to not procrastinate. It's not a guarantee, but you're kind of stacking the odds back in your favor because you're like, no, this is really important to me. And that like my knees, I'm getting older and like, this is real, real story. I, today, today we bought a new mattress for our bed in the spare room because I was sick on the weekend. So if I'm a little bit like congested, apologize. Sick on the weekend, slept in the spare bedroom and is our old mattress from like before we had our kid, um, lumpy as all get up. Um, and I threw my back out sleeping. I'm like, I'm not that old, am I? Apparently I'm that old. I threw my back out sleeping. So like, but if I don't take care of it, and that's you know, a good signal to me that maybe I should do more yoga. If I was fitter, perhaps that wouldn't have been an issue, right? But those things happen more and more as you get older, right? So you can always tap into that sense of value of like, well, what's actually going to happen 
um, for me if I don't do this? And, you know, what do I want my life to be like? Because I, you know, I can make my, my future selves lives easier by choosing differently now. Um, skipping back around, interrupt me at any point. I've got two more to cover. No, I love it. I just want to interrupt on that point here. And what you're basically saying, I love that time travel concept, that mental time travel concept in the sense of saying like you're doing enough to remind yourself of ultimately where you want to be, but not so much that you're kind of delusional to the point where you don't do what you need to do on the day, right? It's enough to say that, okay, I maybe need to add in one yoga session per week because my knees are not in a good place or my back is not in a good place right now. However, I don't need to go spend six months in Thailand doing a yoga course and become a yoga instructor, right? It's like trying to rein yourself in based on the different values that you have in your life and the different priorities as well. So yeah, I really like that in the sense of just having that reflection point of saying, okay, this is important to me, but I need to balance this out with the other priorities in my life. And I also have to have a healthy sense of where I want to be, but not get too lost in that, that I then invest my entire life in it, right? You could probably, yeah, yeah. Like you could probably start to um, imagine what my research was, right? You know, I'm kind of advocating for doing this in little microdoses, microdoses of motivation kind of every day. So like every day I send someone a message and if they're in the experimental condition that message asks them a question and that question related to things like what does it look like for you if you don't do this right in x amount of time and so you know, i ask questions in relation to all four domains every day and it, it took them kind of 60 seconds to respond each day so it's not a huge commitment time wise but i suppose mentally it's a fair commitment because i'm asking people to think and it's not that common that you engage in some sort of like training program or support program where people like really trying to pull that motivation out of you like a lot of motivational programs like push like yeah just like do this and give advice which is all important because you kind of need to know what to do right but in terms of motivation like people have a lot of answers within them and their answers are really bespoke to them and really personal and really meaningful for them right and so asking them those provocative questions that get them thinking in those domains you know, theoretically, and you know, my data supported that if they do this, they delay less, they they got to get onto things sooner, they procrastinate less. And kind of my, my theoretical understanding of why is where we're kind of stacking the odds back in their favor, removing some of that friction, we're kind of elevating these domains that otherwise, if they're low, would kind of get in the way and add friction to uh, yeah, how easy they will find summoning the kind of motivation to to start taking those small steps towards what they want to do. So yeah, like you don't have to, uh, you know, go to meditation retreats, you know, like, you know, or meditate for three hours a day to stop procrastinating. I think there are kind of other, other ways. And it's all, it's all small stuff. It's all like tiny, 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 small stuff. If you've kind of read the book, Atomic Habits, you know, like the concept of an atomic or a small, small habit is you don't have to change your life overnight. Um, sustainable changes don't happen overnight. I mean, sometimes they do, but that's very rare. You know, you can have an epiphany and that generally change. Some people do, but hard to kind of bank on those things or intentionally consciously influence those things. What you can intentionally influence is these small kind of micro changes. Um, And if you're kind to yourself, if you don't push yourself, if you learn from it, um, if it doesn't work, right, or you take a misstep or you go backwards, right, because you tried something and it didn't work out for you, that's cool. Like you didn't actually go backwards. You're, you're, you're bigger. You learn. You know that now. You know that that didn't work. And you can, you know, if you really look close at why it didn't work, you might have a clue about what might 
work instead. So this is kind of like a philosophical frame of acceptance of oneself that seems to also reduce the friction and unlocks an ability to progress. Right. I was, um, was listening to uh, a lecture on Carl Rogers, who's a really famous um, humanistic psychologist, humanistic being like is really, is all about the human, the person, right. And love for people, acceptance and care for it. And I'm going to butcher his quote, um, but it said something along the lines of, he was talking about himself in one of the books he wrote, he said, it's a paradox. However, I find that as soon as I accept where I am, then I change. And I think like that seems to be really true. And we, we seem to assume the op- the opposite. We seem to assume that like, well, don't accept the status quo. I want this and I'm going to go for that. But, you know, I always kind of think you then, then you're changing the future self. You're like, you're trying to like, you know, manifest the future self. Like you, you got to start where you are. It's like, you're trying to win a, win a race that you're not even kind of willing to launch off the starting line for. So yeah, that kind of a concept of, and, and this is very true. It's a big, you know, work area in health related behavior change. Um, particularly around weight management, to really allow yourself to be comfortable with where you are. Not necessarily want to be there forever or like condone it as like healthy and wonderful uh, and the best because objectively, you know, we know that cardiovascular disease is all sorts of kind of like health consequences if you want kind of a long and kind of flexible and generally healthy life. You know, sometimes that's not, people aren't in best shape for that, but you need to, to some extent kind of, accept that you're starting where you're starting and pining for something else is kind of counterproductive to shifting and moving. Yeah, I was just going to say, everyone has this idea that maybe acceptance means passiveness, but I think it's not necessarily that whatsoever. It's more the sense of saying, okay, I understand who I am on this very, very deep and honest level but that doesn't mean i still don't want to change these things it doesn't mean i don't want to explore a potentially better version of myself it's just saying well actually if i do want to run that marathon i need to be honest that i barely go out for one or two runs a week at the moment so if i'm honest with myself and recognize that i'm not consistent that doesn't mean that i'm never going to get out for my runs it just means that okay well right now i'm only doing one to two a week and realistically if i'm training for a marathon i need to be doing three to four what is the gap that's missing is it me being a little bit lazy is it a lack of motivation or why to be doing the thing is it because i'm stressed and other things are more of a priority right now but once you get to that point of acceptance i think you're absolutely right you'll then able to say well yes this is the reason and now i can move towards actually what the problem is here rather than wishing about where i want to be right yeah yeah absolutely a a second um that i've noticed a lot there seems to be this kind of default assumption that acceptance of self means that you're kind of condoning it or that you're comfortable or that you don't want to change and that's not necessarily true it's just about honesty right it's about looking yourself in the mirror and kind of not shying away and not kind of rejecting or minimizing kind of what you see. And I think it's also something that you do every day because quite often we can set aggressive goals for ourselves. And this is fairly common in procrastination that you set over ambitious goals or you have this problem with procrastination and you're like, okay, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and this. And you don't realize that one change of like start going to bed on time actually means a hundred micro changes that need to take place because it's about like, all right, when do you actually start dinner? Because that kicks off like a series of dominoes that delays the time you're actually getting to bed and how are you going to get that self-care time after the kids are asleep, right? Because that's still valuable to you. And so 
if you just try and force yourself to without acknowledging and appreciating that you know, it might take you months to iterate through all of the little micro adjustments that need to be made for this one change to stick and to last. And then for you to sit that out for like three months um, because your life is going to change. You're going to go to a stressful period at work. You're going to get sick. Other things are going to happen that will knock you off course and all of the little micro changes you've made. So you've got like the micro changes to get there and then micro changes to maintain. And then you start kind of getting a little bit more comfortable, like this is stable. I'm actually kind of doing this. And then you go on to the second change that you want to make. Right. If you try and do all those at the same time, you go from trying to make 100 little changes, which is hard enough, to making 200, 300, 400 little changes. And it's kind of impossible and you're really defeating yourself. But then if you beat yourself up about, you know, I'm a failure or, you know, that all that's, you know, that negative self-talk that is common in procrastination as well as a lot of other kind of people and issues, you know, it's just going to make life harder for you to do that. So you, you also have to accept that it's not a destination, it's a journey. It's all process. The only the only thing kind of worth or worthy of your focus and your attention is like that continuous micro improvement and sustainability and accepting that you're not there yet. And that's okay. You're in the middle. That's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think just getting real where you're at and being willing to accept that and realistically as you mentioned accept that that's not your final destination you're just at a certain point of the journey and that's absolutely fine i think that you can make a lot of changes from that place as well so i think it's a powerful point and one final point that i wanted to go through is some questions that i saw when i was looking into your research that you get people to ask themselves when they want to overcome their procrastination can you run us through those four questions yeah so that that's kind of what i was talking about before with the i ask people questions every day in the research, it was four questions on rotation. In the app, so the the, the weight management, contemplate weight loss is called. Um, it's not intentionally a plug, but I guess it also is. We have a pool of many, 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 many questions uh, that go uh, out every day that people can kind of you know, contemplate and respond to. But these four questions, there was one for each of the domains of temporal motivation theory, but one related to expectancy. And I never explained expectancy. Expectancy is probably like the, the most unusual, like psychological concept. Like it's lit less intuitive than what value means, what you know, delay or kind of like the deadline means, what your impulsivity, right? And, and to manage impulsivity, it might be like, okay, well, I'm going to put the chips uh, in the on the top shelf or I'm going to kind of tell my wife to steal my cigarettes if she ever finds them and drown them in the sink and throw them in the bin, right? Like these are what we might refer to as commitment devices where you, you kind of just put things in your environment to kind of make, to add friction to your impulsive kind of tendencies, right? They're really kind of often mechanical ways to just like make it harder to be impulsive towards the thing that you tend to go to when you procrastinate so that's kind of lo- that makes sense right expectancy is it's kind of complicated it's, it's not it's, it's a bit abstract right it, it it means like how much do you expect that you if you do this thing that you're putting off that it will actually get you to the outcome that you want or the outcome that you value Right. So sort of related to value in that respect. And so this can get really existential real quick. Right. Because what do you what's actually important to you? Right. Like, what are you trying to do here when you wash the dishes? Like, is it about 
just like maintaining a healthy home or making life easier for the next day, dishes is probably a little bit not the best example for um, expectancy, but let's say like university assignments, again, because this is where, I mean, I have a lot of clients, the university that procrastinate um, and where a lot of the research is done. You're putting off the assignments because you don't actually want to be a computer scientist, man. (laughs) I'm not speaking directly to you. Maybe you do. I don't know. Great. How to you. But like, you're not doing a computer science assignment because like you want to be an artist until you accept that. Like, why would you do it? Because the thing that you really care about, like the the vision of your future self, doing this assignment holds no relevant kind of piece in that big picture puzzle, right? So like, how can you possibly expect that this can lead you to success? Because you don't even really have a concept of success and what that means to you, right? And on a kind of less existential um degree it might be more like you put off you you're really late to parties because like it's not really clear to you how getting ready on time would contribute to anything of kind of value to you for example like you know that your friends are kind of cool with you being late it's kind of like if i drew it on a whiteboard it would be like a arrow b in the middle of that arrow line is a question mark if you don't know that A is going to actually help you get towards B, you have low expectancy. That definitely makes sense because I would say that I'm the type of person who I am always on time unless I don't deem the thing that I need to get to on time as important or I don't think that the person is going to mind if I turn up late, you know? Otherwise, I'm super punctual. However, if it's not something that's super important for me to be on time, or I know that I'll be super relaxed when I arrive. I'm like, okay, whenever I arrive is absolutely perfect. So I can definitely, yeah, get to grips with that expectancy thing. And I can definitely see the links between those as well. And I do want to just wrap up with those final four questions. And I want to read those out for the listeners to take away with and uh, have a think about these. So the first is, how would someone successful complete the goal? The second is, how would you feel if you didn't do the required task? The third is, what is the next immediate step you need to do? And the final was, if you could do one thing to achieve the goal on time, what would it be? And I think that those questions are ones for everyone who's listening right now to write down to ensure that they take those away and they could definitely be on their way to a life with a lot less procrastination. Yeah, thanks for thanks for the reminder. They go in order of expectancy, value, impulsivity, delay, or I think I also included, you know, your ability to kind of zoom out and have a look at what what you could do in time. So the... I think the, the question you asked or that you read out about how would someone successful achieve this goal is probably a better example for expectancy than I kind of gave you or attempted to give you on the fly before because like ambiguity is low expectancy. And so if you don't know how to do a task, if you don't expect that you can actually complete a task, then you're likely to be paralyzed in the doing of the task. You might value it. You might not be impulsive. It might be due tomorrow, but you have no clue how to do the task and so like on a really micro level like i'm not confident that i can sit down and that me sitting down and starting to write is actually going to get me to my valued goal which is finishing this this task right because i don't know how to do that i'm going to put it off right so using role modeling or like pulling from past experience from yourself or asking someone else or kind of like looking up a how-to guide can really help you to remove some of the ambiguity of like, how do I do this? Like, how do I move forward here? Hence, that's that question. 
right? And what would, how would someone successful do this? And it kind of helps you get out of your own head and kind of like, oh, well, like, yeah, maybe they actually do this and I should try that. 100%. I love that. And Jason, this has been an amazing conversation. Where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? Yeah, like I said, I've got a, a website, drjasonwessel.com. Uh, it's chronically procrastinated upon it just tends to be like the lower priority as I have, you know, uh, clients and apps and other things. Um, but I do have some stuff up there. Um, I've got procrastination scale up there. Um, so you can kind of test yourself and you'll get a report and it'll kind of measure you on the, on the bell curve um, with some kind of indications of with, if you're high, medium, low and kind of what impact that might have on you. Um, I also have the app contemplateweightloss.com available on all good app stores. Um, if you've got kind of weight, management related procrastination behavior and you want to kind of sample what it feels like to really invest motivation and have that kind of pulled from you as you kind of like put it into some sort of response just a minute a day um to if you want to experiment with and get a sense of what that feels like to do you know that's kind of available as well perfect jason this is amazing thank you so much for your time cool it's been a pleasure thanks elliot really appreciate you having me and that was the simply fit podcast I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.